Well, that's not a good thing because if I go to a ball game or uh, if I sing like this, I get weepy. I don't know, uh, you know about our country and about our country's need and how God has blessed us and everything. So, and then I'm weepy anyway because it's kind of the last Sunday here, my last sermon right now. And um, my, my, it's good to be among family. You are my family in Christ, and my physical family has come today to be here. And so I'm going to ask them to stand, and my uncle uh, and his wife all just stand. And, and they, they, I, they said if I offered them a meal, they'd come. So. Thank you. So I am down in my last sermon, and what do I preach in my last sermon? I'm going to preach what's heaviest on my heart. And I was thinking that if I went before the Lord and he said to me, you can be LeBron James and lead the Cavs to a championship, or you can be an interim pastor and lead people to maturity at Old North Church, which would you choose? Uh-huh, yeah. I would choose coming to Old North. This has been a wonderful experience, and... Uh, And I sincerely mean that. So, uh, but before I preach what's on my heart, I want to throw some numbers at you. The first number is 952. And that number represents the average number I preach to every Sunday during my time here. The next number is 699, and that's the exact number of days that I was your interim senior pastor. The next one is exactly 100. That's the number of Sundays that I was your interim senior pastor. 16 is the number that represents the competent and dedicated support staff that work with me right down to the custodians these past two years. The number nine is the number of incredible elders that I served with. Number five is the number of awesome pastors I did ministry with. Number four is the number of days I went to the Canfield Fair this last year. And number two was the number of years short of one month that I served Old North Church as interim senior pastor. And this is the number that caught my attention. Because as I was reading through Acts recently, I saw once again that Paul spent two years as an interim at the Ephesian church. And so as he went around on his missionary journeys, he was nothing more than a missionary and interim senior pastor as he would go serve uh, time in each of the churches. And the Ephesian church happened to be the church that he spent more time at than any other church in his three missionary journeys, two years. And I thought, ah, I know what it is to pastor in a church for the span of two years. And what was his message? Well, we find his message in Acts chapter 19 was twofold. Number one, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And number two, he strengthened all the disciples. And I thought, if I could have any ministry among a church, that's what I would want. To preach the gospel of the kingdom, which we did, and to strengthen all the disciples. In fact, that one, strengthening the disciples, is where I'm heading today as I think about the importance of coming to maturity in Christ. I can't think of anything more important to preach about than your maturity and coming to know Christ in the depth of your soul as he is to be worshiped, praised, and glorified. And so my life's verse is about this very thing, Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29. And it is, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone Present everyone. Present 
everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Well, I'm talking about maturity. Unfortunately, I don't have another sermon to tell you what maturity is. So what I'm going to do is give you a few bullets about what maturity is. And then we're going to talk about what gets in the way of that. So what is maturity? Number one, it's knowing the Word of God. Number two, it's obeying the Word of God in your lifestyle. Number three, it's acquiring God-like behavioral qualities that we become like Him. Number four, it's responding well to adversity. Number five, it's regularly sharing the gospel with others. Number six, refusing to be brainwashed by this world. Number seven, forgiving those who hurt us. Number eight, serving others with our spiritual gifts. Number nine, walking by means of the Spirit. Number 10, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And number 11, regularly enjoying the presence of God through spiritual disciplines. And so you can see there is a lot that goes along with being spiritually mature. And I want you to know of all the pursuits that you ought to have in life. It might be making a lot of money, it might be career, it might be retirement, and all those kinds of things. There is no goal higher than this one, that you grow up in Christ. That one day you can say, I have grown in Christ and I am a mature person in Him. And that's our major goal. And no wonder the Apostle Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 4 about this goal. Verses 11 through 16. And I would like you to stand and honor the word of God one more time as I read that section. And it's page 977 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, that Pew Bible in front of you is yours. We would love you to take that home and have that as our gift to you. Okay, where are we headed? Paul tells us. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to mature womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way unto him who was the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. Here's where I want to go with this today. The reality is a lot of people want to grow up in Christ, but they never get to maturity. They come to church, they sing the songs, they do a lot of things, but they don't get there. Why? Because it is not easy to grow to maturity in Christ. In fact, our text talks about how so often we don't grow to that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a very hard thing. Today, I want to talk about what gets in the way of that. I want to talk about what keeps you from becoming mature in him. Because I have found out that there are so many Christians who want to get to maturity, but don't because they are not equipped and able to get past the obstacles that are designed to keep you from becoming mature in Christ. So here's the big idea of my sermon. Coming to maturity in Christ 
involves overcoming an array of obstacles that are designed to keep us from maturity. I mean, these obstacles that are there are there on purpose. They are there to keep you from growing deep in Christ. And I want to talk to you today about how that happens and how to overcome those obstacles. Now, I remember way back when, when I went off to college and seminary to prepare for the ministry, I thought to myself, this is incredible. I am among all kinds of professors and an environment that is just like heaven. And, and uh, I had high expectations that in college and seminary with my mentors and my tools and my training and, and this kind of hothouse environment that I would grow to be a man of God. And I thought, by the time I become 30, I'm going to be this giant man of God. Well, I turned 30, and I was a pygmy. I was not a giant before the Lord. And I thought, well, by the time I hit 40, it's going to be a different story. I hit 40. I wasn't a giant. I said, well, by the time I hit 50, I hit 50. Now that I'm in my 60s, I've still got my doubts. You see, it's a hard thing. It is not easy to come to maturity. And what I found out is that to get to maturity, you've got to face resistance. You've got to know that, and then you've got to get beyond the resistance if we're ever going to come to maturity. And you've got to overcome those stinking obstacles almost every day. In fact, if obstacles is news to you, if you thought it was a cakewalk, you're already defeated because you need to know that you are in warfare and these obstacles are out there. Now, I've come to know many of you in two years. And my experience tells me that your heart is right, that you want to grow to maturity, that you have a hunger for more intimacy. But like any other church out there, my experience often also tells me that you keep tripping over obstacles, as I do. Obstacles that get in the way, and you have found out that the spiritual life can be very frustrating at times. The reality is, in the pathway of going deeper with God, There are obstacles for every Christian. And because there's nothing more difficult in this world than coming to maturity in Christ, it's where I want to go today to help you get past the obstacles that keep tripping us up. So the rest of my time, I want to talk about what's involved in overcoming the obstacles designed to keep us from maturity. And there are three things that I want you to know. Number one. We can't live the Christian life without obstacles. You might be thinking, well, that is so simple. That is so, you know, obvious and everything. Well, we forget that. And that's the reason I'm here to remind you that the Christian life is about getting over obstacles. In fact, I want you to realize that you need to give yourself permission to admit that there are obstacles in the road. That we can never get so spiritual that they are gone. Because we live in a world that's been damaged by sin. We live in a world with the effects of sin that play around in our lives every day. And our salvation is not a safety net over and around these obstacles. And so I want you to settle something in your mind once and for all if you haven't today. It is this. Living a life without obstacles and problems is not a realistic biblical expectation for you. Did you know that the Bible never says to you, oh, if you're really, really close to Christ, you shouldn't have any problems, you shouldn't have any any obstacles to overcome, you should have health and wealth and all those kinds of things. That simply isn't true. The Bible nowhere claims that we will be exempt from problems as we grow in Christ. 
So let's start with Jesus. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he said, it's not going to be easy. If it was hard for me, it's going to be hard for you. And then the Apostle Paul, he went from church to church, and we catch up with him in the book of Acts chapter 14. And part of his message, it says there, was to encourage the believers. Why? Because the next verse says, through many tribulations, you will enter the kingdom of God. It will not be a cakewalk. If you're going to get to the other side, you will do so with a lot of problems. And we might be thinking, but if I got close to God, I won't have these obstacles. Yes, you will. And then James 1, chapter 2, excuse me, verse 2, tells us to count it all joy when we meet many trials and, and tribulations because they actually test us and they can actually be to our benefit. Even the passage I read today in Ephesians chapter 4 acknowledges the presence of obstacles that would inhibit growth when it says, being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Isn't it amazing that even doctrine can trip us up if it becomes bad? Those obstacles are there. And so, friends, I want you to know right out of the gate that obstacles to your spiritual growth are part of life. There's not one ex expectation in the Bible that says if you are spiritually tuned and growing, you'll escape them. Rather, the testimony of the Bible from cover to cover is that the people of God struggle to gain spiritual ground. So, living the Christian life without obstacles is not a biblical expectation. So get freed up on that. Don't make it one. Obstacles are a required course to maturity with the Lord, and everyone has obstacles, and the Bible is there telling us not to freak out on your way to maturity with the Lord if you are overcome and overrun with obstacles. It's part of life. By the way, in my opinion, the best book next to the Bible on the obstacles of the Christian life on the way to maturity is that old classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, by John Bunyan, and I would Trust that every believer would read that because we're talking in a two-part story that describes and depicts the struggles of the believers on the way to the celestial city. Well, the first thing we need to know then, friends, is that obstacles are part of our course on the way to maturity. But if that's all we know, there's no hope there. And so let's move on to the second thing we need to know. We need to know the obstacles that we're likely to face on our way to maturity. What are those things that will trip us up? What do we have to look out for? How will we deal with them? Well, I'm asking you, how much time do you have? <laughs> this could take a long time. So I have to boil it down today. There are so many obstacles to identify, to understand, and to conquer. So let me give you some of the major biblical ob obstacles on our way to maturity. I'm going to give you an initial list. And the first two actually come from our Ephesians passage that I looked at today. The first one that I want to mention is what I'm calling the obstacle of tainted doctrine. And so this is a big one. Paul tells us that if we trip over bad doctrine, we're going to be tossed about like immature children. And we're going to be susceptible to the wiles of deceiving teachers. And they're going to have us for lunch in some way. Bad doctrine 
will mess up your pathway to spiritual maturity. And the irony is people who believe bad doctrine think they're more mature than other people who don't believe that stuff. And they couldn't be more mistaken when they believe bad doctrine. And you know, we live in a day when bad doctrine is infiltrating churches like ours. In fact, I was amazed on Facebook as I read my news feed this week after the Supreme Court decision what some of the pastors were saying to align with the Supreme Court's decision absolutely floored me. That is bad doctrine. And it's going to have ramifications in the church. And so we've got to be very, very careful. And I'm so happy to tell you that our elders and pastors are guarding sound doctrine here in this church like a hawk. They're looking out. They don't want it to come because they know if it creeps into the church, there will be problems and you cannot come to maturity with bad doctrine. Second obstacle is implied in that text that we read today, and I'm calling it uninvolvement. Uninvolvement. Now, let me tell you right now, that's a word I made up. Because if you use spell check, it won't pass spell check. Uninvolvement is not a good word. But it is in this text. And what I want you to see here is that there's an obstacle that is kind of implied. It doesn't say it explicitly. But what it says here, that if the people of the church aren't functioning as they are assigned by the Holy Spirit to do their part, the church will not come to maturity. You see, there is a myth out there. The myth that we are swallowing in recent decades is this. That my maturity is up to me to come to maturity in Christ as an individual and I need to personally come to maturity and I don't need the body. That is not New Testament. The New Testament in several places say we come to maturity by our own personal walk with Christ but also as a body and if the body doesn't come together the church can't come to full maturity. And so our text today says that the Lord gave every part a function. And when every part is doing its ministry, the church will grow to maturity. And if that, those parts don't, the church cannot come to maturity. So let me exhort you a little today. If all you do is worship here, that's all you do. You're stunting the growth of this church. Why? You need to do more than worship. The text says you need to be involved. You need to know what part you are. And you need to function as that part. And when you do your part and everybody does their part, the church grows to maturity. So my exhortation is don't just worship. Serve the Lord by reaching out to others around you that we may all grow to maturity together in Christ. Now I want to move beyond the Ephesians passage today that we're looking at. To a third obstacle. It's what I'm calling the world. That's obstacle number three. And the world has several meanings in the, the word world has several meanings in the Bible. It can mean the universe, God created the world. It can mean all the people of the world, God so loved the world, the people of the world. But more than not, this word in the New Testament stands for an ethical world. What am I talking about? The term world stands for that system of personal thought and behavior that's under the control of Satan. It enthrones the values that displease God. In fact, it replaces God as the supreme object of man's interest and affections. And if we adopt the world's lifestyle, if we adopt the world's thinking, it will halt our progress 
with God. In my opinion, one of the greatest obstacles we'll ever face is the world. And if we embrace the world, we will not grow in Christ. And the message that the world, excuse me, the message the church needs to hear today, a clarion call, is that we need to come out of this world. We need to come out of Babylon. We need to stop practicing the ways of unregenerate culture. We've been saved from this world. We've been saved from its thinking. We've been saved from its customs. We've been saved from its practices. But the church keeps going back to that from which it was redeemed. And the studies are clear. Unfortunately, there's barely any difference between how the world lives and how the church lives. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to deal with this obstacle called the world. And we need to wean ourselves from the world in order to go deep with God. Let me move to a fourth obstacle. Plain as the nose on our face, but we often miss it. It is Satan himself. He's an obstacle. In America, 34% of the people believe that the devil is a personal being who directs other evil beings and influences people to do wrong. 36% believe the devil is an impersonal force that influences people to do wrong. In the Bible, it's 100%. The Bible 100% of the time says there is a devil, he is personal, there are demons, and they're on a mission to trip you up if you're a Christian and to keep those who don't know Christ from him. And that's his primary mission. In fact, this obstacle is named obstacle. Basically, his name means adversary or the great opposer. And so his very name tells us what he's up to. And so if you are connected with God, he is out to trip you up. Not just others, not just those people sitting next to you today. The devil is after you. Every one of us, individually, by name. He wants to trip us up. He wants to harm us. He wants to lead us into sin. He wants to keep us away from God any way that he possibly can. And you know, as you look around the world, if you put your glasses on, you can see his effect. You can see the broken relationships. You can see the addictions. You can see the disease. You can see the sinful acts. You can see the unhappiness. It is there. Hear me. Satan does not want you to go deep with God. He stands in the way of your progress 24-7, and he does not want you to get close to the Lord. In fact, the apostle Paul says, you know, we got to understand where our battle is. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, he says we've got to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's working to take us down. We've got to step up, understand him, and defeat him. And how do we do that? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18, you suit up in the armor. You put the full armor of God. Why? That you may stand against the devil. You don't turn around so you face, so that you show him your back. You stand against him with that armor on and you can defeat him. And that's what we need to understand that the devil is out there trying to destroy us and we live so fast we forget that Satan opposes us and we have to remind ourselves daily we've got an enemy because if you forget that he's already having the upper hand. Well there's another obstacle that I, that I want you to see. Another obstacle number five is this obstacle I'm calling troubles troubles 
at some point in the road of life, you're going to find an obstacle by the name of trouble, and you're going to find that obstacle very, very often. As that great black preacher E.V. Hill, who is now home with the Lord, used to say, trouble comes to every man's door. And he's right. You will not escape. Job was the first book to be written. And what was the problem of that book? Obstacle called trouble. Troubles, trials, tribulations, tragedies, call it what you like. They hurt. They're unsettling. They, they, they go deep into our soul and they bother us and they disappoint us. And when they come, unless you're different from most people I know, when those trials come as obstacles, we don't go, praise the Lord, hallelujah, here is another trouble. I just couldn't wait till it came again. We're not that way. We don't want those obstacles. Now it is true that God has a design to take those obstacles and make them good if we, if we let them. But Satan has another agenda for those obstacles, and that is to hurt our relationship with God. He wants them to trip us up so that we begin to think less of God. In fact, I have come to the conclusion that I think I know what Satan is trying to do when he throws those hurdles in our way. Here's what he's trying to do. He wants those troubles to make us disappointed with God. He wants those troubles to make us disappointed with God. Why? Because when we trip and fall, we're going to say, God, I thought you loved me. How could you love me and let this happen to me? And when that trial comes and trips us up and say, God, I thought you were all powerful. I prayed if you were powerful, why would you make me hurt so much? And all of a sudden, we're having questions about God and his love and his power and his heart. And it begins to move us away from God through bitterness and doubt and even anger. He knows what he's doing. And these troubles can trip us up. And that's why Jesus told us in Mark chapter 4 and verse 19 about this obstacle. He likened troubles to thorns. The thorns were cares and worries of the world. And he said when the seed of the gospel is sown among trouble, the word is often choked and it becomes unfruitful. We don't grow. My friends... If you don't understand this obstacle called troubles, it can really do a number on your spiritual growth. And I've seen a lot of people lose ground and grow bitter. And I doubt whether anyone can go really deep with God unless they successfully get past this obstacle called troubles. Well, I only have time for one more obstacle. I'm calling it this obstacle of the flesh. The flesh. Now, this is a common biblical term. We tend to think of flesh as that soft, muscular tissue of the body. But in the Bible, the major use of the term flesh is in an ethical sense. And it represents illicit desires and lust inside our bodies. And that term flesh is frequently used for the desires of the body as a tool to serve the lust of the mind. And so we often use our bodies to serve that which is wrong from way down within us. And there's no way we can please God if we are pleasing the flesh. And I am confident of all the obstacles that are out there, the biggest obstacle of all is the flesh. In fact, I've renamed the flesh to a two-letter word. I'm calling it me. Me. 
I am my own biggest problem to spiritual advancement. I am the reason that I'm not making the progress I want to make because I continue to allow myself to serve my flesh more than the Lord. And that's exactly your problem. In fact, 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody once said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any other person who've ever crossed my path. And I'm here to tell you that you have more trouble with you than anybody else you've ever met when it comes to going deep with the Lord. I am my biggest own problem. It's a strong force, this flesh. It is not our new heart that God gave us when we were born again in the Spirit. The flesh is that spiritual enemy, that traitor that we were born with, and we will have it till the day we die. It is a fight. You've got to fight me every day of your life. And if you don't, the sins of the body and the flesh will take over, and you will not be able to go deep with the Lord. Well, there are many other obstacles that I could say today. I'm just going to list a few of them that get in the way and trip us up. Pride, anger, debt, materialism, false guilt and shame, legalism, comparison, self-sufficiency, addictions, and unhealed wounds. Just for starters, whoa, you talk about a landmine on the way to maturity with Christ. We've got a tall order. So how in the world? The fact of the matter, we all have them. The Bible says we will. There's no expectation that if we're spiritual, we won't. Number two, what are they? I just talked about now. How do you leap over them? How do you get past them? How do you conquer them? Well, let me move to the third point then. We've got to overcome any obstacle that stands in our way to growing in Christ. You can't play with that obstacle. You can't minimize it. You can't ignore it. These are danger zones. They trip us up at great penalty to impede our spiritual growth. But here is the good news, folks. Greater is he in us than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4, and Romans 8, 37. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There is an ability to defeat our obstacles. So how do we do that? Let me share with you four essential biblical ways to overcome your hurdles. Number one, confession. When that obstacle trips you up, what do you do? You come before the Lord. You get right with God. You agree that you sin by tripping over that obstacle. And you name that obstacle, you identify it, and you agree with God that you have sinned. And then you ask for his forgiveness. You confess and ask for forgiveness. And when we do that, 1 John 1, 9 says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's a second way to overcome, not just by confession, but by repentance. You can't keep tripping over the same obstacle. Repentance is saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Excuse me, confession, Lord, I'm sorry. Now repentance is I'm turning. I'm walking down another road. I'm going to leap over that hurdle by the Spirit of God. It is not going to trip me up. I'm not going to walk that road anymore. I turn around. And repentance was the message of Christ, the message of John the Baptist, the message of Paul. It's the message of the gospel. You stop tripping over the things that easily beset you. You turn around and go the other way. Third, oh, this isn't a word we as Americans like. It is discipline. Discipline. What am I talking about? 
I am talking about adopting spiritual practices that will help you to have the sensitivity to jump over a hurdle. What am I talking about? Regular reading of the Bible. Regular prayer. Regular worship, not just at worship at church, but in your own personal life. Regular acts of service and good works. They will all kind of keep you from a fall if you'll apply them to disciplines every day. And then lastly, accountability. We need people in our lives who will help us to jump the hurdle. And if you are going down life's road and you keep on tripping and you don't have anybody to help you, you're going to keep on falling. In fact, you're going to live a secret life and you're going to keep on tripping because obstacles love secrecy. It's when you bring them out of the dark into the light of a friend or two and say, you know, I'm really having trouble with this over here. I need you to love on me that much that you will help me by keeping me accountable. But if you do it alone, you will keep tripping. So let me ask you a question. What do you have to do to get out of shape physically? Nothing. Just do absolutely nothing, and you will get out of shape. Well, then, what do you have to do to let the obstacles in life trip you up? Absolutely nothing. If you don't bring something to the table, you're going to keep on falling. And as you keep on falling, you will not grow closer to Christ. You have got to become proactive. You've got to become bold. You've got to become courageous. You've got to step forward and away from those things that continue to pull you back into the wrong ways and away from Christ. Unless you become brutal about it, you will never come to maturity in Christ. And so overcoming obstacles might be the biggest single thing that will release you to the power to grow to maturity in Christ. We're all weak. And Paul tells us that we got to get over those obstacles in the power of Christ as we walk by faith. Now, I, like you, have had many obstacles in my journey. I've had a lot of victories. I've lost a lot of battles. And I've had to practice everything I taught to you today. But let me give you one more tip. Even when you know what the obstacles are that you're dealing with, it is often the obstacle that you do not see coming that trips you up. And Paul said so wisely in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, he who thinks he is strong, take heed lest he fall. A few years ago, my wife and I went to Ultimate Leadership, a phenomenal week-long conference in California led by psychologists John Townsend and Henry Cloud. That conference was all about overcoming obstacles in our lives to build Christ-like character. Now, the week before that conference, I was having my devotions and I was thanking God for all the things that he was giving me in life and happy for my walk with him. And one of the things I remember saying a week before that conference, God, I'm so tempted, excuse me, God, I'm so glad that I'm never tempted to look at anyone besides my wife. And I remember thanking God for that. Well, the first night of the conference the next week, an unexpected thing happened. A female in that group caught my eye. It was totally unexpected and unsettling. It was a battle for me for several days. I was very upset, and I was in the least likely place to encounter an obstacle, and there it came. And by Wednesday afternoon, I said to myself, 
if I don't solve this problem today, I'm going to waste the whole purpose of the trip. In fact, I'm going to lose ground. And so I did a hard thing. I went to Marie, my wife, and I said to her, can I tell you something that's heavy in my heart, even if you don't like what you're going to hear? And she assured me that I could. And I told her that I was feeling an attraction towards someone in the conference, and I wanted no part of it. Marie was so gracious and affirming, I felt safe with her, and she reached out to me, and she was so understanding. And then she did something amazing. She even told me who the lady was. You talk about women's intuition. Do you know something, though? The moment I spoke to Marie, I got past the obstacle. I was freed, and Marie's trust in me strengthened, and so did our relationship, and I sailed through the best conference I had ever attended, and Marie and I to this day were so convinced that an obstacle was sent from Satan to hinder the advances with God that we had come there to make. Now, not everyone comes through like we did. They try and fail and fail again. Don't tackle your obstacles in your own strength and in secret and with your own self-help methods. When you understand what these obstacles are all about and you apply the tools you have and the power of the Spirit and people around you, then you will make your advances to spiritual maturity. And so as I close, I want to tell you, church, that it's been a wonderful experience for me to be your interim senior pastor for two years. But more than anything, more than anything, I want you to come to spiritual maturity in Christ. And I'm here to tell you it's a dogfight, but you can win. And as I've done for two years now, I do again today. I open this altar as a place of prayer. And if you are struggling with obstacles, little or great, if there are issues that are pressing in upon you that are holding you back from maturity, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. I'm going to ask you to do something for you and your friends around you and your family and for the Lord. I'm going to ask you to make your way to the front because, as I said before, unless you take decisive, bold, and courageous steps, you'll keep on tripping. And so I'm going to ask you to stand right now. As our band comes out and leads us, at any time during that song, if the Spirit of God has touched you to say, there's an obstacle, I need to jump over it, you come forward. I'm going to pray for you this morning. As dozens did this morning in the first service, may it happen right now that you would come and take that step and meet God where he is so that he can empower you to jump over those hurdles. You come as we sing.